Good morning. This is Northern Light for Monday, February 7th. I'm Todd Moe. Monica Sandreski is on vacation. Coming up, our series on the worker shortage here in the North Country continues with a look at a shortage of aides at group homes. We have wonderful people that want to work in this field, but can't pay their rent or put food on the table for their family. To get our staff up to a living wage, which will then hopefully bring in additional staff to work those positions, there's going to have to be federal involvement. Monica Sandreski has a report on how some of those homes have been forced to close or consolidate, leaving parents worried about the welfare of their children. We'll have that story coming up. Also, Lake Placid's Emily Sweeney made a return to the Olympics in Beijing after a life-changing crash. I think the more important part of my story, for myself at least, is that I'm still here, that I made it back, that I made it through all of that, all of those things. It was incredibly challenging. We'll hear NPR's Brian Mann's story coming up. Also, Lake Placid native Julie Catherine, known as I Am Snow Angel, has a new album. Stay tuned. Broadcast of Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio is supported by the Village Mercantile, Saranac Lake, partnering with local nonprofit organizations to sell their merchandise through their e-commerce store, villagemerc.com. And by Apothecary Chocolates, making gourmet chocolates by hand from all-natural herbs, botanicals, and tree syrups. Apothecarychocolates.com You're listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. I'm Todd Moe. We're going to continue our look at a worker shortage here in the North Country. That shortage doesn't just affect employees and businesses. It can alter the lives of people who rely on those workers. A shortage of aides at group homes is having a big impact on people with developmental disabilities. Many agencies have been forced to consolidate them, leaving parents and advocates worried about sliding back to a time when people were put in institutions. Monica Sandreski has the latest story in our Worker Shortage series. Amanda Hayes is out for lunch today with her parents at the Burger King in Canton. She's 37 years old with curly brown hair tied back in a bun and bright turquoise sneakers. Her dad, Ed, wheels her chair to the table. Amanda laughs as her mom, Carrie, helps her take a sip of her chocolate milkshake. <laughs> Amanda, hey, she's drinking her chocolate milkshake. <laughs> well, she's savoring every ounce of it. She'll put milk in her mouth and just hold it there and just savor it. Amanda has cerebral palsy and can't feed herself or talk. Carrie and Ed love the noises that Amanda makes. They call them her happy notes, but they worry that she's making less of them lately. That's probably the first time she's giggled in days. a few days. Days. The depression, the big time. We walked in, she had her head right down and wouldn't even pick it up. Then she starts shaking. Amanda lives in a home with about 10 people and requires 24-hour care. Outings like this one are rare. Almost all activities for the folks in Amanda's home have stopped. There just aren't enough workers to help residents leave the house besides for doctor's appointments. Agencies throughout the state have been operating with less than skeleton crews, as one worker I talked to described it. 
Howie Ganter heads up the Arc Jefferson St. Lawrence, which provides services and homes for people with developmental disabilities. Right now, we have a 25% vacancy rate in St. Lawrence and presently about 35% in Jefferson. Um, It has improved uh, in both counties, but we still have a ways to go. Um, So it's been challenging, especially with COVID. Ganter says these agencies have their hands tied. They can only pay what the state allows them to pay. And right now, that's about $15 an hour. These are not minimum wage jobs, and they have become minimum wage jobs in New York State. Rhonda Frederick has worked in the field for more than 40 years and heads up the nonprofit People Incorporated, which runs group homes and services in Buffalo. She and other advocates were frustrated throughout former Governor Andrew Cuomo's administration, which withheld a cost of living increase for people who work in group homes for 10 years. Yeah, I, I don't know what the administration was thinking, but certainly, you know, we got into this workforce crisis because of that. There's no doubt in my mind. And we just, we have wonderful people that, you know, leave this field, want to work in this field, but can't, you know, pay their rent or, you know, put food on the table for their family. This worker shortage she's talking about has real-life impacts on people with developmental disabilities. Agencies have to cut things like field trips and arts programs, but way more important than that, they've had to consolidate group homes, resulting in residences with 8, 10, or 14 people in them. And residents are being forced to move. This is touching a very painful nerve for families of people with disabilities. In the back of everyone's mind I talked with was one word, Willowbrook. So Willowbrook was a state-run school on Staten Island that packed hundreds of developmentally and physically disabled children into warehouse-like conditions. Then Senator Robert F. Kennedy described it as a snake pit. And the brutality reached national attention in a 1972 documentary by journalist Geraldo Rivera. Children, lying on the floor naked and smeared with their own feces, they were making a pitiful sound, a kind of mournful wail that it's impossible for me to forget. Willowbrook didn't close until 1987, during many of these workers' and families' lifetimes. So the realities of it feel too close. Rhonda Frederick again. We use the Geraldo Rivera expose on Willowbrook. Um, We show it to new employees to tell them this is not an acceptable way to treat any, you know, human being. Decades of law and policy changes put Willowbrook in the past and made group homes closer to the kind of living that we all want. So now with the worker shortage forcing consolidations, there's a real fear of sliding backwards. Amanda Hayes had been living in a home with three other young women for 17 years on Cherry Street in Potsdam, the village that she'd lived in for her entire life. Like every home, it wasn't perfect, but we had a lot of we had a lot of fun there and a lot of great memories. We had um, family dinners, and everybody would bring a dish or go down and cook together. So it truly was like walking in. It was like walking into a, it was walking in home. But in October, Cherry Street was forced to close due to staffing shortages. Throughout New York, almost 60 state-run homes have closed in the past few months, plus nonprofit ones too. 
So Amanda and her three friends were all placed in different facilities. Her mom, Carrie, talks through tears as she describes how hard it was to know how Amanda was handling it. What is she thinking? I was afraid for her. Like, I didn't want her to think, like, I don't know. And when so she, worried for what she was thinking. That, that's what I'm saying. That was it. Like, was she safe? I mean, did she do something wrong? Why did everything leave her? It's horrifying. Yeah, it just has, it has not been easy at all. So now, Amanda lives in a facility 20 miles away in rural Rensselaer Falls with about 10 other people. It's like going from a family home to a nursing home, as one parent I talked to put it. Rhonda Frederick of People Incorporated says this worker shortage is forcing them to make very tough choices. Those decisions are not made lightly, and it is out of an abundance of, of safety that they've made those decisions. You know, you get these huge houses, and it, it, it's going back toward an institutional setting. For agencies and parents, the solution is clear. Increase wages for direct support workers. Howie Ganter with the Arc Jefferson St. Lawrence is relieved and pleased that Governor Kathy Hoko proposed a 5% wage increase, plus a $3,000 bonus, but says they need more. It's going to have to be a combination of state resources and federal, but I think really for us to see a significant change in this environment to get our staff up to a living wage, which will then hopefully uh, bring in additional staff to work those positions, there's going to have to be federal involvement. In the meantime, Carrie and Ed Hayes are scared of what they're seeing in Amanda's larger group home. They're changed, they're fed, and they're brought to the living room to watch TV. Then they're changed, they're fed, and they're brought back to the room to watch TV. That's all I see happen. When Ed said this, it really broke my heart, but he said, I feel like our daughter's living on a farm. She's fed and then she's put back out to pasture. For now, the Hayes are taking matters into their own hands. They're buying a van that can fit Amanda's wheelchair to try to get her out more. And they want to build her a home on their property where she can stay on the weekends. For North Country Public Radio, I'm Monica Sandreski. This is North Country Public Radio. You're listening to Northern Light, supported by the Osceola River Association, monitoring lakes and streams and finding solutions that reduce road salt pollution. Learn more at osceolariver.org. And by Thomas J. Lombard, P.E. Keysville, providing engineering planning and environmental consulting services to northern New York and Vermont, 518-834-7729. Music by the Adirondack Harper, Martha Gallagher in Keene.
Stay tuned. Coming up in just a moment, Brian Mann has a, a profile of Emily Sweeney's return to the Olympics after a life-changing crash. We'll hear that story and also music and conversation with Julie Catherine of Lake Placid, known as the musician I Am Snow Angel. She has a new album coming out in a few months. Two Olympians from the North Country made it to the final round in Luge over the weekend, though one medal hopeful missed out. Chris Masder from Saranac Lake finished 8th. Johnny Gustafson from Messina finished in 19th in Luge. Masder won a silver medal in the event of the last Olympics four years ago. He was the first American man ever to medal in the event. After this year's Luge final, Mazder said he felt like he really went for it and was happy with his performance. Both Mazder and Gustafson were both smiling after their final Luge runs in Beijing. A local Olympian is competing this morning at the Winter Games in Beijing, Lake Placid's Emily Sweeney. Set to make her first runs on the luge track. Uh, as NPR's Brian Mann reports, Sweeney is returning to the Olympics after a life-changing crash. Four years ago at the Winter Games in Pyeongchang, Emily Sweeney was rocketing down the track feet first, more than 60 miles an hour, banking through sharp turns. When her luge sled bucked and twisted out of control, her dad, Larry Sweeney, was there that day in South Korea. I've never seen an accident with my kids after 20-some years that bad. And we took off running. Video of the crash is painful to watch. Sweeney's body slammed side to side against ice hard and unforgiving as concrete. Her mom, Sue Sweeney, was also there. She says the only reason her daughter is alive today is her skill as an athlete. For the training that they've received over all these years, she wouldn't be here today or wouldn't be herself today if, Mm -hmm. if it hadn't been for that. But Emily Sweeney still left the sled track that day with devastating injuries, the kind that often end careers for top-tier athletes. Broke my neck and my back, and I came back, and I'm here. She spoke to reporters after arriving in Beijing ahead of luge races that get underway tomorrow. Sweeney said for her, getting to these Olympics isn't so much about winning medals as it is about survival. I think the more important part of my story, for myself at least, is that... I'm still here, that I made it back, that I made it through all of that, all of those things. It was incredibly challenging. There are a couple reasons why her accomplishment is amazing. Sweeney, who's 28 years old, had to qualify for her second Olympic Games. And remember, that's an insanely difficult thing to do. As a completely different athlete, her body just works differently after the crash. She doesn't have the range of movement that she used to have. You know, you're on the sled and you're pulling five Gs. There's not a lot of um, flex that she has. That's Emily's sister, Megan Sweeney Schaefer, who was also a top U.S. luge racer, competing at the Vancouver Olympics in 2010. She says her sister had to find a way to slide and race more creatively, not physically loose, but mentally loose. And that has really helped clear her mind before going down the track. And I think that that's the biggest difference that I see. Here in Beijing, Sweeney has to enter that zen-like state of mind, relaxed and fearless, doing something that wrecked her body. Luge is a sport where winning and losing is measured in tiny fractions of a second. I've shown this year that I have a lot of speed with me, within myself, but 
In order to get that speed, I have to be going for it. I can't play it safe. While Sweeney races, friends and family will be watching from back home in Lake Placid, the village in New York's Adirondack Mountains, where she got her start as a sled racer. A few days ago, her parents, Sue and Larry, were decorating, getting ready to gather around the television. Because of the pandemic, they couldn't travel to Beijing. It's really hard not to be there. Emily's mom, Sue, says her daughter may be fearless, but for the family, this is scary. We've seen what can happen. Like, we never had seen anything like that before, ever. It it does weigh on your mind a bit. So the next two days will be nerve-wracking, but Larry Sweeney says they've been a sled-racing family for a long time. They'll try their best to enjoy their daughter's Olympic moment. We have a, a, a tradition. We call it luge hooch. Jameson Bailey's 50-50, so... (laughs) (laughs) So a little bit of whiskey goes a long way. Yeah. Yeah. That and deep breathing. Speaking to reporters this week, Emily Sweeney said she's grateful her family has backed her, supporting her recovery and her return to the Olympics. They've gone through it. They've had all the the joy as parts and all of the... They've had to deal with me going through terrible parts. (laughs) So um, (laughs) thanks, Mom and Dad. Sweeney faces one last mental test. She'll race on a winding sled track that's brand new, built for these winter games, which means she'll have to go all out, risking everything on an icy course that's unfamiliar. Brian Mann, NPR News, Beijing. That story first aired on NPR's Weekend Edition Sunday, yesterday. Emily Russell contributed to the story. Sweeney made her first two runs on the luge track this morning. Some towns in upstate New York opposed to mask mandates and other public health measures put in place during the pandemic are considering voting with their feet and switching counties. The Buffalo News reports representatives from Marilla, Wales, Holland and Grand Island met last week to discuss leaving Erie County for Wyoming or Niagara counties. The supervisor for Marilla, about eight miles from downtown Buffalo, says the effort is serious. Seceding is a rare move in New York and requires a complicated process involving public and municipal approvals. Erie County's executive says the towns would lose sales tax and other shared revenue if they leave. A federal judge has approved a $65 million settlement in a class action lawsuit with three companies over chemical contamination of the water supply in Hoosick Falls. The Times Union reports the ruling Friday by U.S. District Senior Judge Lawrence Kahn set off a 30-day period for an appeal to be filed challenging the settlement. Kahn had previously ruled the settlement was fair, reasonable, and adequate. Under the settlement... St. Cobain Performance Plastics, Honeywell International, and 3M will compensate plaintiffs who are current or former residents of Hoosick Falls, that's northwest of Albany, for their exposure to PFOA, a chemical once used in certain industrial processes. You're listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. It's 8.20 on this Monday morning. I'm Todd Moe. Monica Sandreski will be back next week. 
25 degrees in Canton right now. The Weather Service says highs today in the 30s with partly to mostly cloudy skies, light winds out of the southeast. Lows around 20 overnight tonight. And then tomorrow, maybe some light snow with highs in the low 30s. And it looks like uh, temperatures uh, pretty steady in the upper 20s, low 30s for highs this week. Nighttime lows in the teens and low 20s and occasional light snow through at this point uh, Friday. Northern Light is supported by the Osceola River Association, monitoring lakes and streams and finding solutions that reduce road salt pollution. Learn more at osceolariver.org. Lake Placid native Julie Catherine, the musician known as I Am Snow Angel, has a new album coming out this spring. The first single, Twisted Romance, was just released. Catherine, whose music is part of our Underscore project, First spoke with Doyle Dean in the fall of 2020. She says, making electronic music opened up a new world for her and that it's led to a career in sound design. I design virtual instruments. Um, They can sound like synthesizers. They can sound like vocals. They can sound like string instruments. Um, I design those instruments. They live inside a program that's called Ableton. And when the music maker buys this program and opens it, um, they can play these instruments that I've designed. Um, They're virtual instruments. They're MIDI instruments. And they can be adjusted to sound kind of however you'd like them to sound. I like how you gave them life. They live inside this program. (laughs) (laughs) They coming after us? (laughs) Well, some of them are intense, yeah. We've been using some of your music during broadcast of, of our news programs. I think these were instrumental mixes of songs that had vocals in them, correct? And thank you for using them. You know, I grew up in Lake Placid and listened to NPR every day in the car with my parents and then when I got a car, so it's really cool to be <laughs> to be included. Yeah, I do uh, produce my own music and it has lyrics and melodies and, you know, it's kind of like a dream pop vibe. Wrap around you Let me go, never fly away, honeybee, honeybee, honeybee. Julie Catherine used to make music in a different way, acoustic guitar, singer-songwriter style. It was going well, but she said she was getting bored. Everything changed one day when a colleague urged her to learn some basic computer audio skills. They were just like these in-the-box, nothing special sounds that were in the computer. I didn't even know how to use them properly. I didn't really know how to do anything. And the minute I started doing it, I felt like this like rush of like, like I wanted to cry. It was so satisfying in the way that I thought, you know, being this kind of like Americana guitar artist... <laughs> singer-songwriter, I thought that would bring me that feeling, and instead I got it from this kind of more electronic direction. And I just stumbled into it, thank God. I'm fortunate because this 
pandemic has been so hard on artists and musicians. It's been awful. It's devastating. For me, it wasn't as much of a change for two reasons. One is that I do a lot of production and also sound design work, which I can do on my own time. The other reason things didn't change for me as much is I had a baby last summer. Yeah, so so when this hit, you know, I I was already I wasn't it wasn't like I was out touring or anything like that. Can you look at or is it too early maybe to look at what you're producing and and see, you know, yeah, this is in response to everything mm. going on in the world. You know, it's so interesting because you know, I think a lot of artists have been and continue to you know, like raise awareness and protest through their music. And I think it's really important. Um, and I kind of thought that might happen for me. Instead, so far, what I see is I'm kind of diving farther into maybe kind of using the music production as meditation and really going into like a very lush sonic landscape. Um, like I need it. It's the thing that's getting me by. Like the reason I work on music every night is so I can survive emotionally. <laughs> Native Julie Catherine, who makes music under the name I Am Snow Angel. She first spoke with Doyle Dean in the fall of 2020. Her new single, Twisted Romance, is out now with a full album, Lost World, coming this spring. Catherine says the pandemic has played a role in her current work. She calls Twisted Romance a dystopian love song, but says she remains hopeful, too, a feeling she attributes to motherhood. And you can learn more about the regional music you hear on NCPR on our website, ncpr.org slash underscore. Coming up on 828 Northern Light, supported by Thomas J. Lombard, P.E. Keysville, providing engineering planning and environmental consulting services to northern New York and Vermont, 518-834-7729. And Adirondack Health in Saranac Lake, recently designated a comprehensive joint replacement center. Learn more at adirondackhealth.org. We're media sponsor for the second annual Frosty Fest coming up Saturday, February 12th from 11 to 2 
at Ives Park in Potsdam. This is a family-friendly event featuring a snowman building competition, campfire stories, cookies, and hot chocolate will be provided. And youngsters are encouraged to bring items from home to outfit their snow people. For more information, you can visit our website, ncpr.org slash calendar. That's uh, the second annual Frosty Fest in Potsdam and Ives Park next Saturday from 11 to 2. Also, a reminder that uh, there's a gallery talk in Canton at at the St. Lawrence University this afternoon at 445. Sarah Noble, uh, Associate Professor of Art and Art History at St. Lawrence, is the curator of the new exhibition Subject Object. And she'll give a talk about that exhibit at 4.45 this afternoon, the Brush Art Gallery in Canton at St. Lawrence University. Some of the events on our calendar, you can check the website for more information, more events at ncpr.org slash calendar. If you miss an episode of Northern Light or miss a story, don't worry. You can listen back to the archive any place you get podcasts and subscribe to our daily news roundup. and Listen for Story of the Day coming up this afternoon as well. Check out the latest state and regional news on our website. Listen back to stories. Share the audio. That's at ncpr.org. I'm Todd Moe. Thanks for listening. <laughs>